Well, good morning. My name is Sam Caston-Smith, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm an assistant pastor here at Rio Vista, and I'm also a headmaster at Bethany Christian School across the street. And so if you were here last night, uh, you, you saw that we're launching a new thing, Everything Changes, that asks everybody in the congregation to really come to the table as we're going forward, to dig deep and to be all in. And the first sermon after the unveiling of that, that we're going to, to discuss a passage today, has to deal with the Beatitudes. And I think that is perfect to launch this new campaign of the gospel changing everything. Because the Beatitudes, which comes from the Latin for blessed, blessedness, it's where we get our word beauty, starts with humility. You see, by the time we get to Matthew chapter 5, where we find the Beatitudes, it's the beginning. It's how Jesus launches into the Sermon on the Mount. He has just in Matthew chapter 3 launched his public ministry, being baptized in the Jordan. In Matthew chapter 4, he goes off into the wilderness and he faces these, these intense temptations. 40 days of fasting. And then he goes and is tempted by the devil. And when you get to, to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to go up on a mountain in Galilee. It's this place right here, six years ago, we went there. And so the, this passage is going to begin that Jesus sat on a mountain. And you can see here that he goes up, he sits on the mountain, and it's kind of this natural amphitheater. And he is going to give the greatest sermon in the history of the world to the crowds that are lined up these hills, listening to his voice echo up God's natural stadium. And he's going to talk about the beauty of humility and being small in your own eyes and uh, worthless trivia of the day, if you go up the mountain on the right, there is the Church of the Beatitudes built by Benito Mussolini. So kind of the antonym of humility builds the Church of the Beatitudes. But the Beatitudes are something that's amazing. And I love that he gives them in Galilee. Jesus is going to spend 70% of his ministry in Galilee. And when you, if you ever get the chance or the amazing privilege, opportunity to go to Israel, this is one of my favorite parts of the trip because it, the, the nation of Israel prevents anyone from building hotels and, and tourist traps and everything around Galilee. And so when you go around the sea, you feel like it's almost undisturbed as it was in the time of Jesus. And it's so simplified and natural and all the man-made mess is gone and you're just... Walking where Jesus once walked. And the quiet of it all. It's wonderful. It's simple. It's humble. And Jesus is going to give a powerful message here. And then in the last days of His life, He's going to go to another place. Jerusalem. Far from a humble city. It's supposed to be the holy city. But this town is, is decorated with gold. And even if you go there today, it's the gold dome. And everybody's trying to sell you religious things. And holy water from the Jordan. And here's some anointing oil that was taken from Gethsemane. And everybody wants to peddle and, and profit on what God is doing. And Jesus is going to go there. And He's going to go and He's going to deliver a message to His church. That is, to these 
hypocrites, the ones who ran the temple, the people who were supposed to be the forefront of the movement of the kingdom of God. And he is going to call them out for pride. He starts the Beatitudes telling us, if you want to advance the kingdom of God, it is going to be done through humility. And he goes to Jerusalem in the last days of his life and he's going to confront the religious leaders and say, you are poisoning the kingdom of God with your pride. Turn away from it. And so let's walk through how Jesus begins the Beatitudes. We start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, And I'd like for you to read the Beatitudes with me. There's eight of them. And they start, Blessed are, or blessed is. Ready? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for great, for your reward is great in heaven, sorry. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's amazing. These beatitudes are so rich with beauty if you would just stand underneath the Lord's Word and let it saturate down into your heart what He's saying here. He opens His Sermon on the Mount pointing us toward the path of humility. And you can can walk through the Christian life and you can see how this has to play out. Before you will ever come to appreciate the Lord, before you will grab Him and never let go, there is this sense of of humbling, of realizing that you're impoverished in spirit that makes Him so precious. When you come before Him, and let's just face it, we are all there. When you come before Him and you realize, Lord, I try and I try and I try. I try in my marriage and it's not good enough. I try in being a father and it's not good enough. I try in my business and it's not good enough. And I feel empty and I feel worn out. And it's just not enough. Blessed are you when you come to that realization. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, there is a healing balm that comes with Christ when you can be honest for a moment because everybody in the world wants to go around and we want to pretend like we've got it all together, like our marriage is perfect and our business is, you know, doing gangbusters and our moral life is perfect and we don't have scars and and we're not bleeding and we're not hurting and we put on the masks 
And we want to go through, and oh my goodness, they're heavy cinder blocks, and they drive us into the dirt, and we begin to withdraw from our community because we don't want anyone to know. We don't want them to know how broken we really are. And Jesus is coming and saying, be free of that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come to me, admit it, I already know. And then he calls us as a community to come together and to be honest about that so that one place in this world, there's freedom to come and say, look at this scar. Hear my broken heart. And for the rest of us to go, I know, me too. But look at the Lord who promises us that ours is the kingdom of heaven who lavishes upon us in our hurt. He draws near to us when we are brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. And if you have that reaction to the Lord, this, this poverty of spirit where we all feel broken, we do. And we go before the Lord and we mourn because He is so good and He deserves so much better and there's a heaviness that brings a mourning over the way that this world is, over the brokenness of our lives, over the way that our marriage is on the rocks and our selfishness begins wrecking everything around us. There should be, naturally, a mourning in us. And Jesus is quick to come and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I am going to wrap my arms around you. I see your brokenness. I know your tears. I know your heart breaks. I know the dreams that you once had that now seem to be shattering. I get it. There's reason to mourn. This world is broken, but it won't always be that way. And even now, I will wrap you up in the comfort of my arms. And I am coming to make all things new. I am coming to wipe away your tears. Oh. And when we realize how amazing He is, and we realize our poverty of spirit, we realize that we have reason to mourn, then it drives us to a sense of meekness. This strong gentleness. This awareness of, that we should be small in our own eyes, considering who God is. And that everything we own in the eternal sense, the only things that are permanent in our lives are from His goodness. Oh my goodness, I should be small in my own sight. This isn't mine. I haven't, I haven't built anything that God hasn't first blessed me with. They, you will inherit the earth. Don't run around trying to do everything in your own strength puffed out. You'll only burn yourself out and crash on the rocks. Be meek and you'll inherit the earth. And then when you get a glimpse of how amazing and good He is, don't you begin to hunger and thirst for His sort of righteousness to be like Him? My goodness. Look at who He is. Look at what He's done. Look at how He's changed me. Look at how He has freed me from shackles. Look at, look at how He has brought me joy and comfort and peace in the midst of all the changing circumstances in my life. I want to be like Him. The standard of righteousness. I give anything to have that. And here's the deal. What does it say? That you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Which means you don't have it yet. Don't pretend you're not, I don't get hungry for a steak I already ate. Jesus is saying hunger and thirst 
for righteousness and you will be satisfied. And guess what? If you do all that and you see how good God is to you in spite of your brokenness, in spite of your poverty, and in spite of the fact that you mourn and have reason to mourn over your faults, He comes to you and shows you this radical brand of mercy. Radical mercy. And then He says, go do likewise. And if we're changed, we will go and pour out mercy. And I'll tell you what, we'll become pure in heart. That was the hardest thing for me to accept because when I came to faith, Christianity looked really boring to me. But the more and more I fell in love with Jesus, the more and more He became the object of all my affections, the more and more all the other distractions and competing things began to look small and petty. I didn't want Him so much. I wanted to be like Him. I wanted to know Him. I wanted to see Him. I wanted to be with Him. And all of a sudden, the desires of my heart are beginning to change. And my wife wishes they would change a lot faster. <laughs> Because it's a work in progress and we're not going to be glorified until that day when it's all complete in Him. I'm still a mess. I'm still going to Him saying, Lord, I am totally poor. I'm broke. I have nothing to offer. You know, I'll trade in my man card real quick. When Laura and I were dating, she came over. It was the Christmas season. She shows up. I answer the door and my face looks like I've been sobbing. She goes, oh my goodness, what's wrong? And I said, I've just listened to the little drummer boy. <laughs> Man card totally burned right there. But the line in that song that says, I have no gift to bring that's fit to give our king. You don't have a gift that is fit for Him. You are impoverished. We are all poor in spirit. And yet He comes and says, Oh, my inheritance is yours. And so, who wouldn't want that? And if we've tasted of the goodness of heaven that has come down to us, the shalom that Christ, the peace, the fullness that Christ has offered to us, doesn't it make us want to then take that in all of our broken relationships and all the places where we have the mess of this world and selfishness and everything else and to spread that sense of shalom and mercy and righteousness and meekness and comfort and belonging to the rest of the world? And when we do that, they're going to say we're weird. What do you mean your ultimate priority is not money? That's weird. What do you mean the gods of this world don't satisfy you? Everybody else is chasing after them. That's weird. And they're going to say things that insult you. But here's the deal. Jesus does not ask us to walk down the list of Beatitudes and say, hey, go do these. He, he, the God of the universe, demonstrates them for us. The God who had everything in the throne of heaven becomes impoverished in spirit, right? He comes. He knows what it's like to be homeless. He knows what it's like to have spit thrown into his face. He knows what it's like to be rejected and betrayed and to have the one that he's chasing after want nothing to do with him. He knows what it's like to mourn in the passage that we're going to get to in a minute. Jesus looks over Jerusalem, weeping, saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you like a chick gathers her hens under her wings, but you, you weren't willing. He's meek, this God who once had the, the angels singing to Him, radiated with glory in heaven. 
comes down in the smallness of a baby and says that he doesn't pursue equality with God, but pours himself out as a servant to us. He is meek. The one who has perfect righteousness hangs on a cross and all of his infinitely positive righteousness that he has earned is stripped away from him and clothed on us. And all of our sins are drenched on him. And from the cross, what does he cry? The God who has only known perfect righteousness from all of eternity past cries out, I thirst. For you. He knows mercy, my goodness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was never a moment in that man's life where he had impure motives of the heart. There was never a moment in his life where he didn't seek to bring shalom and peace and reconciliation to those that were around him. There was never a moment in that man's life where he walked away from persecution if he was following after the Lord's will. That, that spirit, those beatitudes that are all sourced through the gate of humility, all of them, where we say, it's not about me. God can do amazing things through me if I will just be small in my own eyes. That's where Jesus is launching the sermon. But He will go at the end of His ministry, three days before His, his crucifixion, and He's going to confront the religious establishment and the holy city. Because He understands the greatest threat to His church And I want you to hear this. The greatest threat to His church is not the pagans. It's not wild, sinful living. It's not all the stuff that so commonly in the church we go, that's the problem with the world. The greatest threat to the kingdom of God is counterfeit Christians. Over across the street, I do entrance interviews of families that come, the families that want nothing to do with Christianity. I have yet to hear someone go, you know what, that Jesus guy, I don't really care for him. I don't want nothing to do with him. But story after story after story. I was in a rut in my life. I, was, I had fallen. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And someone from the church totally shunned me. They drove me into the ground. They humiliated me. They tried to exploit me. And I want nothing to do with Christianity. Why? Because they came across somebody who is a counterfeit of what Christ truly is. If I want to destroy a currency, the fastest way and the easiest way for me to destroy a currency is not to run around and try to find all of it and burn it up. The easiest way to destroy a currency is to what? Produce mass amounts of counterfeits that makes all of the genuines seem worthless. That's true. In Christian circles, Satan has a field day when he can take someone doing something really awful in the name of God. And so Jesus is going to go into the holy city of Jerusalem. He's going to confront these Pharisees who he repeatedly calls hypocrites, which comes from an ancient Greek word that literally means uh, under the surface. It means uh, someone, an actor. You know how in drama logos they have the two faces and they pick which one they put on so that you see that they're wearing a mask and you only get to see whatever mask they put on for you to see. That's where we get that word hypocrite. 
And so Jesus is going to launch into the Pharisees. Now I want you to listen. He, he starts the Beatitudes with eight of them, right? Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And in Matthew 23, beginning in verse 13, he's going to launch eight woe to yous. And they are meant to be mirror image opposites of the Beatitudes. This is how you can advance the kingdom of God. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you. And then he's going to come over here and go, woe to you. You are keeping the kingdom of God from advancing. And I want you to listen to how Jesus brilliantly puts these at odds with one another. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom and people's faces. The people who are trying to get in, the broken, those people who don't know that this mercy is out there, you close the door and say, you're not good enough to meet my standard. And so find another place. Woe to you. The second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The second woe. Woe to you, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses. And then you offer these long prayers to pretend like you care. Are we people who comfort those in mourning? Or are we people who bring just additional distress to those in mourning? Do we rejoice when our enemies fall? Do we rejoice when those that we disagree with are humiliated? Do we pretend to be concerned when our brothers and sisters are in misery? Or do we go out and show the type of comfort that God has shown to us? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then he says, woe to you, you hypocrites. You travel all over sea and land. And when you win a convert to your brand of religion, you make them a slave and twice as much a son of hell as you are. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then he looks at the Pharisees and say, but your righteousness is all fake. You're more concerned about the gold of the temple than the God of the temple. You don't don't seek relationship with me. You don't want to be like me. You just want everybody to look at you and go, wow, they must be really holy. Look at all their tassels and garments and gold in the temple. Are you more concerned about what God sees in you or what people see in you? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive God's mercy. But then he goes on, Woe to you, you hypocrites, for you neglect the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. God's people should be defined by these things. Mercy, hungering for righteousness, welcoming in the outcast, not shutting that door on anybody, comforting people. Blessed are the pure of heart. Hear this. So they they will see God. But then in the woes, he says, you blind guides. Hear that. You will not see God. You are blind. Because you're only worried about the outside of your cup when inside the cup it is filled with all kinds of disgusting unrighteousness that you could care less about because you're only worried about external appearances. But blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. You, you're a blind guide. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And he launches into the seventh woe, saying, Woe to you, you brood of vipers. What's a brood? 
It's offspring, right? Woe to you, sons of vipers. You hear that? You're not sons of God. You're sons of vipers. Why? Because you are filled with dead men's bones. You take advantage of everybody. And you do it in my name. You work all kinds of lawlessness. You trample all over people and you do it in the name of, of my Father. You brood of vipers. And lastly, Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, you religious hypocrites, you act like you're super concerned about the prophets and you pay honor at their tombs. But you're exactly the type of people who killed the prophets. He looks at the crowd and says, these people do not practice what they preach. And he says, prostitutes and tax collectors are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven before them. You see, in Christianity, we have this amazingly beautiful thing. This God who comes to us and says, stop pretending. You're free to be broken with me. You're free to be honest about your scars. You're free to be known. You don't have to hide anymore. I will open the doors wide in my kingdom for you and I will comfort you and I will give you the earth and I will satisfy your every longing and I will show you mercy beyond end. And you know what? You're going you're to be called the sons of God and you're going to see me face to face in all of my glory, the great desire of man. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And here's the deal. We are the hands and feet of Christ in this world, are we not? We need to be about the business that's promised to us by Christ. We need to be about that business and offering it to others. I was getting my hair cut, as you can tell. Brilliant job. And I was talking with my barber, whom I've never met before. And I started talking about Jesus and, and Christianity. And she says, you know what? I don't like to go to church anymore because they just always tell me how bad I am. Oh, dear one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I led a dad's breakfast, we were talking about the weight of fatherhood and the weight of what it means to be a husband and, and a breadwinner and all the stuff. And it's so, it's a lot of responsibility. And I'm delivering this message to like 35, 40 guys that are the salt of the earth. And at the end of it, I asked, how many of you feel like failures under the weight of all that. And 35 to 40 hands went up. Jesus is calling on us to start this mission and advancing the kingdom of God with this unbelievable humility that frees us up to be broken and poor and mourning and to be honest about it with Him promising that in that honesty, in that authenticity, He will shower us with the most abundant of blessings. And then we are to go out into the world with all these people who are hiding behind the masks, saying, no, 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 I'm not hurting. I've got it together. I've got it together. My marriage is fine. And inside, they're wasting away. 
They're depressed and they weep themselves to sleep and they don't know how to fix their lives. And Jesus is saying, okay, my people, my hands and feet, go out into my world. Find those broken people and let them know that the gates of heaven are swung wide for them. That there is comfort in me for them. That they will inherit the earth. That they will be satisfied. That there is great mercy for them and freedom in me. Go show them your freedom to be poor in spirit and broken. Give them permission to do it by your example and let them see how beautiful life is when it's rooted in me. That's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing teaching. And Jesus is saying, before you come on that mission with me, humble yourself. Recognize your poverty. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much that though I fail all the time, (laughs) all the time I'm a total train wreck, Lord, and you know it. You see all my my hidden things. You know my hidden desires. You know the, the mess of my heart. And yet, when I come before you and I say, Lord, I'm a mess and I don't want to carry this alone. And Lord, you wrap me up and welcome me into your kingdom. You offer comfort for all of my mourning. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us that would allow us to put away those masks, to not be hypocrites, and that we would find freedom in this church to be broken to one another, but also to go out into this world and show them a kingdom that this world can't make sense of and a king who is so absolutely wonderful that he causes us to desire to be more and more like him, to bring heaven, a taste of heaven to this earth. And we pray all this in Christ's name, Lord, do great things here and help us to do it with being small in our own eyes. Amen.